The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. And so as not to bear the full responsibility if this doesn't go well, I have some verses I'm going to have Christine and Tim hand out, and there's going to be some audience participation as we go through this today. I was here about a year ago to help put a new roof on Tim's house, and uh, we are here this year to accompany the folks who put a roof over Tim for about 20 years of his early life, Roger and Diane. So we've had a, an enjoyable trip thus far. We explored the Mount Baker area for a couple days, and then uh, tomorrow or Tuesday, we're heading up to the Olympic Peninsula. Uh, Christine has been there a couple times. I have not seen that, so she's going to give me that tour. So uh, thank you. Jim asked me downstairs if I had gone to seminary. And I have not gone to Bible school or seminary, uh, something that is soon to become painly, painfully obvious to all of you. Um, I, I'm always reminded, I think it's Mark Twain who said, it's better to set silent having folks assume you're incompetent than to speak up and remove all doubt. So, um, And I promise you these verses, none of them are from Old Testament genealogy where you have a whole bunch of names or places that are, that are hard to pronounce. If you look at your strip of paper, I've got numbers on the left-hand side, so you'll know when you're coming up in the order. So uh, you can kind of gauge that. One final thing, I know we're having lunch here in a little bit. In some cases, the speaker might say, uh, you probably should go turn your crock pot on low or turn the oven down so as not to burn the food. Um, I'm guessing you might want to turn your crock pot up a little bit or turn the oven up because I don't know how long this is going to take me. We're used to about 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jim, you would be surprised. You'd be surprised how many churches that Christine and I are familiar with are also used and expect 20 minutes. And, and I like to use this picture. If you go to a movie and it's a really, really, really good movie. Two and a half, three hours can pass, and you'll, you'll think, I can't believe I've been here that long. But if you go to a really bad movie, about 15 minutes you're looking at your watch going, okay, when is this going to get over with? I think solid teaching and preaching from the pulpit is the same way. And the people that Christine and I have come across 20 minutes of not solid teaching does get pretty old pretty quick, and that becomes the expectation. Uh, and I won't ask you afterwards to tell me when you looked at your watch today. So, As Tim asked me if I had anything in particular I'd been working on, and, and I didn't really. Uh, I had this nugget of a thought in my mind that I'd shared a little bit with the folks in the church where we were attending. 
Today is my day 21,855 on earth. I will soon turn 60 years old. And I realize that I've experienced way more yesterdays than I'm going to experience tomorrows. And as I look back on my life, I realize, Tim, you and Peg have been here how many years? I can't remember how many years you've been here. 32 years. And you folks are very familiar with Tim's testimony and his upbringing, and, and thus you would be familiar with Christine's because it was similar. They grew up in the same household. They experienced the same things. My story is very different than that, and as I look back as I'm older, I see now in hindsight the different things God was doing in my life even before I knew Jesus that brought me to this point. And in, in appreciation, I've looked back at those things, and I have some verses that kind of go with some different events that have taken place in our life that I've grown to really appreciate, despite my upbringing that was very different than Tim and Christine's. And that's what I'd like to share with you today. And, and I'm going to tell some stories and have some scripture verses. And the, the scripture verses I have to apply to certain events in my life, you might say to yourself, well, that fits pretty well. And you might even say to yourself, well, Dan, I've got a better verse that fit even better than the one you used, and that's fine. So indulge me, please, as I take you through some events that brought us to this point, uh, day 21,855 for Dan on earth. Verse number one, Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. And then number two would be Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head and all, your, and all are numbered. Do not fear, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. Thank you. I was born and grew up in southwest Iowa on a small family farm. Um, my father, after high school, served two years in the Army. Uh, it wasn't wartime. He just enlisted and served a couple years. And when he came back, he, he thought he wanted to become a farmer. So he began working for a fairly wealthy, successful farmer who was a neighbor. He was a hired hand. And over the course of time, as Dad learned how to farm, um, he he borrowed money from this farmer to buy the 80 acres that I grew up on. It was a, a small family farm. And just to show you how small it was, for my mom and dad's wedding present, this farmer, as a wedding gift, gave them four cows. That was their wedding gift. It was a, it was a typical Iowa farm. Corn, soybeans, hay. We had cattle. We had hogs. Uh, my mom worked in the restaurant business. She was a waitress, basically at a truck stop restaurant for most of her adult life. We were 
looking back now, I would not have known this when I was growing up because we had a, we had a wonderful childhood, but we were on the lower end of middle class. But we always had a roof over our head and we had food on the table and we had clothes on our back. Uh, my parents did a great job of raising us. They were ethical people. They were moral people. They were hardworking people. They were people you wanted to have as a neighbor. But we did not go to church. They were not saved. Uh, all of those things that they manifested that would cause you to think they were good people were of their own volition. They weren't divinely inspired or spirit-enabled qualities because we didn't go to church. That was my upbringing, which again, I, I look back and I'm thankful for the upbringing because the things that they taught me about life and the world still helped me in my adult life. But again, we did not attend church. Number three, Titus 3.8. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So despite us not going to church, as I look back, I, we were not left, my sister and I, I, I just had one sister, I failed to mention that, she was a year younger than I. We didn't have influence in our life as I look back. I don't know that I recognized it then, but as I look back now, I do. My grandma Phillips, um, who my dad purchased the farm from in the first place, and then she took the proceeds and moved to the small town near where we grew up. She lived right next door to the Baptist church and one block away from the Church of Christ. And she attended the Church of Christ regularly. And she was a piano player. And my grandma, my, my grandfather Phillips had passed away before I was even born, so I didn't know my grandpa Phillips. My grandma was always a, a widow as far as I knew. She played the piano and when my sister would have times for her to watch us, to babysit us, one of the things that grandma would do, she set us down at the piano, my sister on one side, me on the other side, and she would play hymns. She probably played a bunch of hymns, but the ones I remember, and it, there was a verse in one of the songs we sang, Jesus loves me. She would play that almost every time we'd go over there. And then she also played the battle hymn of the Republic. I, I remember that one because it was just, you know, it got you stirred up. But I believe in looking back, grandma knew that her son and his wife were not really raising their family in a way that was centered on God, and she was being a little bit of a witness to her grandchildren when she had the opportunity. And to this day, when I hear Jesus loves me, it will bring a little bit of a tear to my eye because God left that memory, and I go back to that every time I hear that song. And then Jean and Helen Burgess. Jean Burgess was my dad's best friend growing up, and my dad was Jean's best man in his wedding, back when weddings were bride and groom and mom and dad, and that's the wedding, that's the whole thing. We would go spend time at Jean and Helen's house. They had children about the same age as my sister and I, and I remember looking back that doing things at Jean and Helen's house was different than when we went to other people's houses, including our family. There was no profanity. There was no behavior of any kind. We played cards, we played board games. We had good, clean family fun. Well, I would learn later in life that Gene and his wife Helen attended the same church my grandma Phillips attended. They were saved. They were believers. 
that was their word witnessing to my parents and they invited my parents to church often though my parents said no just as often so even back then when I was a little shaver I think God was putting people in my life to just give me an exposure to something I wasn't getting at home Number four, Titus 3.3. 3. But we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. So I would graduate from the little high school that I went to. I would go to community college for a year, and I would land a job at Norwest Financial, which would eventually merge with Wells Fargo. I moved to Des Moines, the big town, the big town as it was to me, and I made a couple of friends in Des Moines, and you can imagine that unsaved guys with a little money in their pocket because they're employed, we did the things that unsaved guys at that time did. I, I lived a life that was contrary to what I would come to know. That was what consumed me, is what was a fun activity today. How would we use our day to do rec recreation today? What would we do to pass our time? Those types of activities because I was running with that type of a crowd at that time. And then, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. 1 and 2, I'm sorry. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom <clears throat> preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove reverse and exhort with complete patience and teaching and then number six which is first peter three fifteen. So about the time I turned 24 years old, this would have been in the fall of 1987, uh, some friends of ours set me up on a blind date. I bet most of you can guess who that blind date was. <laughs> She's sitting right behind her brother. We went to, we went to, we went, so the friends who set us up, they went with us. It was a double date. We on the blind date, Christine obviously more blind than I was, but um, <laughs> we, went, we went miniature golfing. And then we went to Pizza Hut and sat down when Pizza Hut was kind of a sit-down restaurant experience back in the day. That was, that was our first date. And um, I think it became apparent to both of us, I, and I was still unsaved at this point, that there was a mutual attraction. We had, a, we had an enjoyable time on that first date, so we agreed to have another date and, and then another date. And at that point in my life, I had questions that I didn't know anybody that I could ask these questions of. I had questions about heaven and hell and God and Jesus and being saved and being judged. I, I just knew no one that I could ask these questions of. But Christine was patient and kind in listening to my questions and, and answering those questions based upon her understanding of God's word and having grown up in a Christian home. So she was she would answer them in a way that was non-judgmental. 
she would answer them in a way as to not put me off, you know, and, and judge me and answer them. She was kind in doing that, and she, she helped me through that process. Some of these verses you, you folks know uh, by heart. Number seven, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. And then number eight, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. But the teaching of the cross is So as I look back, I'm certain, I'm certain Christine shared the gospel with me when we were going through the Dan question and answer process. But I don't remember that. I remember her answering questions that I had. I remember opening God's word. And as much as I'm certain she shared the gospel with me, I don't remember her sharing the gospel with me. It wasn't my time yet to receive it and understand it. And I was going to ask you, how many of you were saved later in life, maybe 20 on up? As I look back at my life, and some of you can probably say there were times in my life where I did foolish things where in reality I should not have probably lived through that foolish thing. But God had an appointment for me and I wasn't going to do something so stupid as to kill myself before I met that appointment. When my sister and I were, were young, um, two quick examples, my, my father as I said was a farmer. My mom worked the day shift at the restaurant so occasionally he had to take my sister and I out to the farm field with him as he did some disking or plowing or planting. Now, it wasn't a huge farm and it was flat, it's Iowa, and he could see us off in the edge as he was working the field. He came over one time and he said, okay, what are you two doing? I, I'm watching you from the tractor and pretty soon I only see one of you and then you're gone and then I see another one of you and then you're gone. Well, we had found a badger hole and my sister and I were taking time turns sliding up and down this badger hole. Now, I don't know that the badger would have, you know, mortally wounded either one of us, and I don't even know if the badger was home at the time, but nonetheless, we were doing foolish things. My father also had a gravity grain wagon. When we combined corn, he, from the combine into the gravity grain wagon that's built with a slant, so when you get to the elevator, you just open the slot and the grain pours out. He needed to let us right up in the top with the grain. Well, we got to the home place one time and he starts letting the grain out and I was messing around. Well, pretty soon I'm up to my chest in grain and it's sucking me down. It is, the suction is bringing me down. And I wasn't strong enough to pull myself out. Thankfully, my sister was there and she yelled and got my dad's attention and he shot everything down and he pulled me out of the grain. Again, just something I was doing that was foolish. That in, there's hundreds of farm accidents in Iowa every year where something just like that happens and, and the person unfortunately doesn't make it. But again, God had an appointment for me, and I wasn't going to thwart that appointment through the foolish things that I was doing. Nonetheless, I'm certain Christine shared the gospel with me, but I, I simply just don't recall because it wasn't my time. <coughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, number 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then, of course, number 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. One of the things that impressed me about Christine when we first met is that she was independent, she had a job, she was living on her own, two and a half hours away from her parents. Yet despite that independence, she chose to get up on Sunday mornings and go to church. This was a foreign concept to me. Sunday mornings were for sleeping in for the unsaved Dan, and yet Christine on her own would get up and go to church. Well, when we started dating, of course, I was invited to get up and go to church too. And she lived on the north side of Des Moines. I lived on the south side of Des Moines. And we started looking for churches to attend. Um, for whatever reason, we weren't that excited about the church you were attending. So we were looking around. We went to uh, Calvary Baptist Church on Southeast 14th in Des Moines, Iowa. I'm not even certain if it's still there. Pastor Tim Capon, I remember his name, was the, was the pastor that day. And as you did back in the day, you filled out a visitor card and you dropped it in the offering plate. And lo and behold, the next week at my apartment, <laughs> Pastor Capon, and I assumed to be a deacon or a member of their visitation committee, had come to see me. I put the address on there and they came in and we had a nice visit. I don't recall everything we talked about, but they left me a salvation tract. And after they left, I got out my Bible And I read through that tract, and that was the moment, that was my appointed time that the veil was lifted and I knew for a fact that Jesus Christ had died for my sins, was buried and had rose again the third day, and that I needed to stop trying to do things and I just needed to believe that. That was my appointed moment. Churches we go to, and, and it was simple. It was God's word enlightening me. We, 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 we deal with a, a bunch of folks who, you know, you, you, you got to say a prayer and you got to walk an aisle and you got to do this, that, or the other thing. And it's just not that complex when it is real. And that was my appointed time. That's why I didn't die in that grain cart when I was six years old. And that's why I didn't get mortally wounded by a badger when I was four years old because I had something that God had in store for me. Number 11, Titus chapter 2, and this is verse 1 and 2 and verses 6 through 8. So as Christine and I's relationship evolves, 
and I don't, I don't know that all of these events are in chronological order, by the way. Um, it's time for me to meet the family, to meet the parents, so to speak. And I was nervous about meeting the family. I had, I had met the parents of girlfriends before. That didn't really make me nervous. But I was now going to meet a Christian family. And I had not spent any time around a Christian family. I didn't really know what to expect. So on a Friday afternoon or evening after we got off of work, we met and jumped in the car and started the two and a half hour trek up to Green, Iowa to meet the family. And we walk in the door. I'm sure Diane probably had dinner ready for us because it had been about dinner time when we got there. And I meet Roger. And initially, we hit it off. Roger is a trapper, and I was a trapper in high school. We had that in common. Roger liked Iowa Hawkeye sports. I liked Iowa Hawkeye sports. So we had that in common. So we, we got along pretty well right away. So much so that this family that I was nervous to meet initially, within a couple of hours of us coming in the house and having dinner, as I recall, there was an Iowa Hawkeye basketball game on that night. The ladies had taken over the living room and that TV, so we couldn't watch the game there. So we had to go upstairs to Roger and Diane's bedroom. <laughs> we watched the game on a 12-inch black and white TV. I'm not exaggerating, laying side by side on their twin bed because that was the only seat there was in their bedroom. That was my first meeting of the Holshers. But then as time passed, Roger was the first Christian believing male that I spent much time with. And as we would go up there and, and go about doing various activities, running the trap line, visiting the school, visiting <coughs> folks, Roger didn't come out and tell me he was teaching me how to be a Christian husband, how to be a Christian man, how to be, but that's what he was doing. I noticed how he handled himself in front of uh, people in the public square. He was always polite and thankful and asked how they were doing, how their wife was doing, how their mother was doing, how their daughter was doing. He was always taking items to, to give to people as a kind gesture. He didn't use profanity. He, he didn't have a coarse language about him. And he again, he didn't come out and say, Dan, this is how a Christian male behaves. But he was simply acting in that way praying and hoping it would rub off on me. And I would later realize it was because not only did we have trapping in common, not only did we have Iowa Hawkeyes in common, we had loving Christine Holscher in common, and he wanted to make sure that the man who might eventually spend considerable time with his daughter knew how to take care of his daughter and his grandkids, if that were to ever happen. So I'm always thankful for the example Roger was to me in my life as he went about his daily activity and as he showed me an example of how to live the Christian life. So we're dating, I'm saved, I'm getting some teaching from God's word and from the people God's putting in my life. And then number 12, John 15, 18 through 19. So after I was saved, those 
friends that I had met in Des Moines suddenly, it wasn't overnight, but we suddenly kind of went our own ways. We didn't do much with them anymore. Even, even my family, who was not churched, found my new behavior somewhat odd. You mean, you mean you go to church on Sunday mornings? You know, we, we have this big family reunion every Sunday, and we start gathering at 1030 in the morning. We start chatting with aunts and uncles and cousins, and then we have lunch, and then we play games in the afternoon. That's what we do every Sunday morning. Well, I start not coming to those things because I'm going to church with Christine. And my family didn't disown me, but you could tell they thought my new behavior was somewhat unusual. And that would go on for quite some time, actually. And then I've got three passages here, or I'm sorry, four in a row. Uh, number 13, which is Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then number 14, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. Number 15, John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may be having peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then finally, number 16, 1 John 3, 14 and 16. So we meet in the fall of 1987. We are married nine months later in uh, July of 1988, uh, which was just our 35th anniversary not too long ago. Uh, we have a couple of kids pretty early on, and then we're trying to have a third. We thought we wanted to have a third child, and we had some difficulties during that process. And in the, uh, trying to mentally do some calculation here, in the fall of 1996, uh, Christine became pregnant, and we started doing the prenatal visits, and uh, at some point in time, the doctor said, well, things are looking good, and by the way, you're not having one child, you're having twins, and we were elated. We were excited at the prospect of having twins. Um, the whole family was excited about the prospect of having twins, and you know most of this story already, at least some of you do, and in February of 1997, uh, complications arose. Uh, the boys came way, way, way too early. Uh, they were born, and uh, I always get this mixed up, but Carter was two pounds, one ounce, and Elijah was one pound, 15 ounces. They were born prematurely, and there was a lot of complications. Um, Elijah would end up being with us for less than 24 hours before he passed away. He just, he didn't take to the treatments the doctors gave preemies at that time to try to help with the survivability. Carter did take to the treatments and was perhaps a little bit stronger than his brother. And uh, Carter's now a 26-year-old strapping young man. You'd never know he weighed two pounds when he was born now. But, um, and, and we were heartbroken. We were, we were crushed. And uh, Christine had to stay in the hospital, I, I think, for a couple days. I don't remember how long. But what happened is our church family came. 
and two things happened actually. Our church family came and they loved on us and they prayed with us and they hugged us and they consoled us. But the other thing that happened, Jim bragged on his wife earlier, I'm gonna brag on my wife now, so I think it seems appropriate. Christine went about this with a strength of faith I, I can't even fathom to this day. I, I would stand out in the hall of the hospital and our friends and our church family would come and, and you could see the continents on their face. They were hurting for us, you could tell. They would go into that room and talk to Christine for 10 minutes and they would come out and they'd have a smile on her face because they knew she was okay. She didn't like it, she wasn't happy about it, but she knew God had something for her and she was such a testimony during that, to me as well. And my parents witnessed this as well. My parents were by our side and they watched these believers come and love on us, go talk to Christine, come out and, and be at peace. Not joyful that this is, but be at peace with this. And it had, a, it had an impact on my parents. Um, we, were, we were traumatized for a bit and mom and dad being old school took over parts of this process. What I mean by that is, okay, Dan, have you, have you thought about a burial plot and where you're gonna put Eli? No, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that for myself, let alone for my child. So they, they bought a burial plot down next to them, to where they have their burial plot, and that's where Eli was, his body was put in the ground. And, and Christine and I wasn't sure what to do. They said, well, you probably need a little tombstone marker or something. And uh, so, yeah, and they said, what, what do you want it to say? And really not able to think of anything more meaningful or profound, we just put our short-term missionary. That's what we put on the headstone. Five or six years later, I would get a letter. Remember Jean and Helen Burgess from my earlier story? Jean wrote me a letter. He said, our son is buried not too far from Eli. And we used to go over and pay our respects to Eli's grave and we'd go visit our son. And, and I didn't really get what our short-term missionary meant. But he said, your folks are coming to church now. I see them almost every week. And I can tell you now, through that event and other things, with as much confidence as one human being can have regarding the salvation of another human being, my mom is saved. With slightly less confidence, I believe my dad is saved too, but he's quiet and 86 and he doesn't really talk about his feelings too much, so you, you don't get a good read. But God used that event in our lives to have an impact on my parents. And to this day, they're in church every Sunday. They go to Bible studies midweek. Uh, they're serving. And, and it is just a wonderful way that God used a situation in our lives at the time we were going through it. And, and keep in mind, I didn't understand all these things when I was going through this. This is me looking in hindsight at how God was ordering all these things. And it just was wonderful how he worked that out. Um, so much so that the family that initially kind of disowned me when I started not showing up on Sundays to family reunions, well, they come to our house now for Easter. 
and they come to our house for Easter because we have an acreage and we have room to spread out. And there's about 35 to 40 of them every Easter. We go to church. By the time we get home from church, there's a whole house full of people who have showed up during the time. Uh, last Easter, Christine, at Christine's encouragement, uh, we, we, we now pray as a family before the meal, which isn't a big deal. But before we prayed, I, as clear as I could, shared the gospel with my entire family. Now, I don't know that anyone made any decisions that day, but they were exposed to the gospel as a result of the family now coming to us to spend time with us. Importantly for you folks, these last two. Uh, number 17, 2 Timothy 2.15. And then 1 Timothy 4, 13 and 14. Until I come, give attention to reading of the scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was given unto you through the prophetic utterance of the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things and be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Christine and I, and I'm certain Roger and Diane, too, would like to thank you guys. The opportunities we have through Skype, through your video sessions, through your articles, through the ministry of this church. At, at times when we've felt we were perhaps on islands where good teaching didn't exist, it's comforting to know that we have a resource to use. And I, I'm not just talking about Jim or Tim or Josh or, or Ben. I'm talking about all of you because you all contribute to this ministry. And we have benefited so much from the teaching that comes from this local assembly. You'll never know how much we appreciate it. Uh, as Tim said, Christine and I are still learning, still growing, still maturing trying to share truth that we get honestly a lot of it from here with others it's somewhat disappointing when that truth is not well received but and in addition to that the the, the graciousness you have all shown and the generosity to let tim and tim and peg come back to iowa to be with raj and diane the last couple of years and to be with us too we we appreciate that immensely as well um just just know that your ministry here is impacting well beyond the walls of this church. And we benefit tremendously from, from all of the teaching, from just knowing your faces and, and knowing your stories and hopefully you knowing our stories. I hope today that as you look back at your story and you look at the events in your life and how God brought you along it will cause you to appreciate some of the things that he did that while you were going through them, you might have not have understood why or what the, what the end result was. Because as I said, I, as I've looked back, it's really encouraging to see how God was taking care of me even before I knew I was of God. He was putting things in place that would line these things up. And we each have our own different and unique story. It's like snowflakes and fingerprints. Or they're all different. But yet, as the sparrow and on the hairs, on the hairs, counting the hairs on the God knew all of those things. He knew all of those would be put together. 
So thank you for listening to me. Tim, I, you probably, I, I, I didn't put any pressure on Tim. I said, I don't know how long I'm going. I'm going to shotgun a bunch of verses out there. I'm going to tell a few stories. I'm praying that during my time, the Spirit's going to impress on you a nice way to put a bow on this whole thing, and then we can close. So, Tim, I'm going to turn the closing over to you, if you don't mind. John chapter 13 we talk a lot about love but it's the second part of this and I've been thinking a lot about this in connection with the study in 1st John that we're doing in Mattawa but John chapter 13 and it's not verse 34 that I want to focus on it's verse 35 it says by this will all know that you are my disciples if you have love among one another. We have a, the church has a, sometimes a real crazy idea that the way to reach the world is to show them that we love them. And so we kind of, let's go love on the world. But Dan's testimony that I really appreciated here was like, I was thinking like his parents, it's when they witnessed not the church's love for his parents, but when they watched the church love on them that said something to them that said something to them watching this love within the family and uh, it just again it reminds me again this is what we should be about this is the command he left us with is that we ought to be loving one another and uh, so that means like their situations and we're always encouraging you it means taking time for each other right taking times to be together uh, doing things like that. Men's coffee tomorrow morning. Forgot to announce that. But that's one of those opportunities. I look forward to that. I never get up on Monday morning and go, oh man, I got to make coffee. Sometimes I do that because I'm like, I'm running behind. Oh, I got to make coffee. You never say that any day. I know. <laughs> but uh, things like that. It's getting together. It's when you got new parents that will be with us for a little bit yet before they head back and taking the time to encourage them a little bit uh, with this little guy. Things like that. Just all of this. You guys all know this. So anyway, thank you, Dan, for sharing with us and for all of us. Uh, keep on uh, loving one another. Father, we're thankful for your great kindness and grace to us. Thankful for Dan sharing uh, some aspects of his testimony and uh, reminding us how you work. And just as he said, we all have that story. It comes all to a common point that we believe in your son. And it all comes to the point that you continue to work in our lives by grace but how you bring each of us along in those things and the events in our lives that you used to shape all that, those things differ. And we love that wonderful joy of getting to hear uh, the stories that others share. And we thank you for this then. Amen. There's a song. We're not going to sing it. You guys probably wouldn't care for this, but there's a song by Matthew West. Some of you know who Matthew, Matthew West is. And, uh, and I can't even remember what the song is, but he's... Uh, He's talking about, he says, I got a picture in my head one day, or got a picture in my head today about heaven might look one day that the, uh, the people are gathered around.
But he says, then you sit around. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I think about this when I listen to you guys. And they're sharing their story. And uh, I think we're going to be so amazed to be in God's presence and know him. But there's times I wonder if God is actually going to let some of those stories be told to kind of tell us something about this is how incredible he was. I'm sorry, I got to quit. <laughs> anyway, okay, thank you.